Hi, and welcome to the Airline Weekly Launch Podcast. I'm your host, Editor Maduni Christian, joined again this week by Edward Ned Russell. As we discuss more first quarter earnings among the U.S. carriers and Air Canada and how staffing could be a constraint this summer. Thanks for joining us, and we hope you enjoy the podcast. Hey there, Ned. How are you? I'm good, Madhu. How are you doing this week? I'm good. We're in the midst of earnings. We, we seem the always to be saying that, but we are actually in the thick of earnings this week with uh, with many of the U.S. carriers and, and some Mexican and Canadian carriers reporting on the week of April 25th. Um, we had a bunch last week, so let's get into it. Let's talk about uh, some of the, the issues we heard from American, Alaska, JetBlue, United, and Air Canada so far. <laughs> so... Let's start with what the good, and, and that is demand. Everyone says they saw some significant turn in demand late February into March that is really driving a return to profitability going into the second quarter. Now, everyone lost money in the first quarter, but there's almost near unanimous agreement that they're going to make a profit in the second quarter. Right. And the, and the story for every carrier that we've listened to so far is that the uh, story began to change in March, January and February till about President's Day, which in the U.S. is the middle of February, was uh, were, were really affected by not only low season out like a low season anyway for the airlines, but the Omicron variant, which was easier for us to forget. And how now that we're in April and I've forgotten all about it. Uh, but uh, but, you know, Every every carrier that I've listened to from United to Air Canada and everything in between has said the story changed in March. Booking started to pick up. The people are looking forward to the summer and um, and spring break. And so uh, the you know you're right, Ned. Everyone every carrier is really excited about the summer and what they see is like probably the best summer demand season since 2019, if not even better. Absolutely. You know, one thing that really dra- grabbed me is a lot of companies are seeing corporate travelers return in droves. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Many airlines saw 10, 20, 30 point improvements over the course of the quarter. Uh, Alaska Airlines point out that one of their tech customers, and they wouldn't say which one, their corporate spend jumped by 50 percentage points from January through March, which is impressive. So yeah. and they're they're back to about 80% of 2019 corporate, uh, 70, 80% of corporate spending levels, which is huge because, you know, we've spent much time on this podcast and elsewhere talking about when will corporate travelers return, and they're certainly returning quickly all of a sudden. Yeah, and, and that's that echoes what United said to keep it in the tech space, and that's, uh, you know, it, it's large hub in San Francisco was always, all did much worse during the pandemic than, United six other hubs, and now San Francisco is picking back up again. Though it still lags, it still lags Houston and Chicago for um, for United and Denver for United. But it's it's getting it's it's showing signs of life, and that's purely because Google and Apple and all the other big tech companies are are reopening their offices and getting back on the road again. All right, and there was an interesting story in one of our colleagues at Skift. Uh, he wrote about Microsoft says they're seeing a huge demand for increased internal travel, particularly among some of these, the new staff that have were hired during the pandemic mm-hmm. and haven't actually met people in person. So, you know, that could help uh, be helping drive some of this return in tech dollars to Alaska, United and other airlines. Right. Absolutely. And, um, you know, the um, but it's not just corporate travel, right? Ned? I mean, what, what we're also seeing is uh, VFR and leisure travel just going through the roof for the summer as people plan vacations that they put off in some cases for two years. 
Absolutely. I think pretty much every airline has said leisure travel, VFR travel is where it was. It has recovered, if not above where it was in 2019. So it's uh, it's it's pretty much a done deal on the on the leisure recovery, though. Segments like Asia, which remains mostly closed off, yes. are still nowhere near where they were. But to domestically near Latin America and even to Europe, in many mm-hmm. cases, it's it's back to 2019 levels. When I say to Europe, I'm talking about the transatlantic. Yeah, United said that the transatlantic could be record-setting this year for them in the summer. So, um, you know, people are are taking vacations that they put off for two years. But the the other piece of the story, Ned, as we both reported, is that capacity will be lower, right? So this looks this is a great revenue picture for the and pricing picture for the airlines because they'll be facing, you know, enjoying all record demand on some sectors, but um but they'll be flying fewer planes, which means more expensive tickets. <laughs> that is right. And, you know, airlines are taking that cash and, and heading to the bank. You know, less capacity, and we'll talk about this in a little bit, is a lot to do with the staffing situation. Yeah. But also uh, the OEMs are have delivery issues with some of their aircraft. So airlines are getting fewer Maxes and Airbus and 787s than they, they had planned. And then there's also this lingering concern about various airport and air traffic control staffing issues that have airlines mm-hmm. who, pulling back on their schedules. I think Americans word was, uh, you know, Robert Isom, CEO of American, he was, he was said that, you know, very clear, they will fly within their means essentially this summer. Right. So they, they've pulled back some, I mean, all the airlines are still looking at being at or close to 2019 levels, but they, they have pulled back and that's turning into very strong yield momentum. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, uh, you know, they were also bitten last year, once bitten, twice shy last summer, they, they, probably scheduled more flights than they could fly if there are any IROPs. And so I, I feel this, the sense I'm getting from all the airline executives that we've heard from is that they're being a lot more cautious for this summer and not planning really, really ambitious schedules that they can't fly, given the staffing, which we'll get to in a second, and, um, you know, and, and operational challenges in the summer. One of the interesting things we've all been following is the, the Pratt & Whitney 777s at United. What was the update there, Madhu? So there's 52 Pratt & Whitney powered 777s that were grounded from last February, February of 2021, after an uncontained engine failure over Denver. Um, the the uh, United has been working with um, the FAA, Pratt & Whitney, and Boeing for a fix to these fan blades and expects to bring those 52 wide bodies back into its fleet, operational fleet, um, sometime this year. So that's a lot of lift that United will get back. That it, And also, it's well, the, the flip side of it, it's a lot of lift that United will get back, but it's a lot of lift that United, that was taken out of United's system. So that's also fi- factoring into their capacity planning for the summer because they hope that these aircraft come back online um, in the summer. Oh, and I forgot that, of course, like, you know, it's not a matter of flipping a switch and making the fix. They have to bring these aircraft will take months to bring back online and they're not going to all 52 won't join the fleet all at once. (laughs) Definitely. You know, United was talking, uh, Patrick Quill, the head of international network was talking a little bit about the recovery of those, the return of those triple sevens on a call this week. Uh, that is on, on Monday the 25th. And, and he said that some might be used as spares, uh, once they come back initially, just so, you know, it helps give them operational stability this summer, mm-hmm. as we talked about uh, in terms of issues. And then it also means that they don't, you know, they they won't be ramping up more than they can, you know, biting up more than they can chew in terms of what they can fly. So, you know, that is a plus for United to have some extra aircraft parked at hubs ready to go when, when they need that. 
you know, one of the, the, you know, it's so summer's good. Spring is looking very good for airlines. You know, one thing that I'd like to say is JetBlue stood out from pack so far as forecasting a loss in the second quarter. And that really is, you know, when you know, due to their operational meltdown in April, uh, that cost them a lot of money and they've had to scale that capacity and, and spend a lot of money sort of to recover. So, you know, that was the one sort of outlier in terms of, of second quarter profitability. But otherwise, everyone's looking forward to returning to the black in the quarter. And uh, so we will we'll, we'll take a break and, and talk a bit about the staffing issues that JetBlue highlighted and everyone else. And we're back, Ned. So we, we talked about the great side of, of second quarter forecasts and what and first quarter results. Now let's talk about the salt, and that is staffing. That's yes. something the U.S. carriers have been struggling with. And, you know, we, we pay a lot of attention. The whole industry and press plays a lot of attention to the pilot shortage, but it's a lot more than that. No, it really is. Staffing has, has you know, we've covered pilots a lot, but staffing is, is an issue across the spectrum. Entry level continues to be challenged at a lot of airlines as they compete with with like, likes of Amazon and, and other companies that are adding entry level staff. And then, you know, flight attendants are in high demand as well. And things are happening there. And one thing that is interesting as this all happens is there's a strong uh, labor uh, organizing movement in the mm-hmm. U.S. going on. Absolutely. And our our peer, Ted Reed, actually wrote a story for Airline Weekly the other week about how Avalo Airlines and Breeze Airways are in the process of organizing or some their flight attendants and pilots are, uh, which is is a surprise because normally startups benefit from low cost of labor. So it's there's a nexus of things happening at the moment that are driving up labor costs and making staff the staffing situation a little bit more difficult for airlines. And we should clarify this 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 moment the labor unions are are seeing is not just restricted to the airlines. I mean we're seeing um, organizing efforts that are successful at Amazon and Starbucks and and coal plants and um, coal mines in Alabama and all over the economy. So, um, so, you know, this is, it's a supply and demand issue and that, that net, right. I mean, we've, it's a very tight labor market, 3.6% unemployment, I believe. And a lot of companies that are ramping up production and looking for, uh, for workers and they're having to compete for a smaller pool of workers. Absolutely. And that's driving up uh, costs and wage rates everywhere. You know, we've we've talked about some of the regional airlines agreeing to contracts with significant pay increases. And Delta, just in a U.S. industry first, said they will pay flight attendants uh, from uh, the time the door for boarding on flights, which is uh, seen as widely as a response to a union drive by the Association of Flight Attendants there. But it also is going to be significant cost pressure for them because that's going to add. uh, I said the minimum was ten dollars and seventy nine cents per flight attendant per boarding. Mm-hmm. So if you multiply that out, that's a lot of additional cost for the airline. Yeah. And I just heard the United uh, United spokesman contacted me to say that they are raising rates for um, uh, ramp staff in uh, some of their airports like Dallas and Denver. So, um, you know, the, these wage increases are, and but un, unlike Delta, however, those, those are unionized employees. But like, but, you know, we're seeing uh, labor costs rise because airlines really need to keep hold on to um, trained staff. 
Absolutely. So speaking of of the the elephant in the room pilots, that was something pretty much every airline, U.S. airline has mentioned so far in their earnings calls. And it's really been a story, two two different stories. American and United tend to have minimal impact. And Delta. And Delta. Uh, whereas the smaller Alaska and JetBlue are are feeling a significant, they are major airlines that are feeling significant fallout from this. Mm-hmm. It's not just limited to the regionals anymore. No, no, they're 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 finding that trained pilots who have enough hours are going to the larger carriers. So that's why Delta, American, and United are not seeing too much trouble with pilots, but uh, but some of the the, the second tier of airlines are. Right. One of the interesting things on JetBlue's call on uh, Tuesday, that's April 26, is Michael Lindenberg, an analyst at Deutsche Bank, asked, you know, is JetBlue really a, you know, are they just a stepping stone uh-huh. to jobs at larger airlines? And management, you know, executives were quick to push back against that. You know, of course. About JetBlue being a career place. But President Joanna Gerdy, she acknowledged that they are now baking into their long term plans expectations of higher attrition for pilots with zero to four years. And she said she acknowledged she she said there are some pilots who want to fly a wide body and that's something we can't offer and they will leave within those first four years, which is such a mind shift for for the industry. We you think we talked about this last week how pilots used to get a job and stay for life, yeah. but now if you know like she said they're not seeing those pilots with ten fifteen years leave once they have the seniority they tend to stay right, but in those first few years it doesn't sound it sounds like you know. Pilots are more than happy to jump ship if that means going somewhere they could be flying a 787 to London or an A350 to Sydney someday. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, it's uh, it's going to be an interesting dynamic to see how seniority lists play out over the next few years with lo- with all this sort of hopping around that uh, the pilots from the smaller airlines are doing to the larger airlines. Now, I mean, I guess the question is, will say that – JetBlue or Alaska pilot with three or four years experience, if he or she goes off to United, will they stay United or will they go off to another airline? I mean, that that's where we'll see how much mobility there is in, in the pilot ranks. Um, Absolutely. Now, did United say anything about attrition? I know American, which I listened to, did not say they're seeing elevated attrition at the main line. They right. are at the regional wholly owns because they own some regional carriers, but they are not seeing that at the main line. No, United did not say um, they're suffering from any kind of attrition, nor did Delta. And uh, both Ed Bastian at Delta and Scott Kirby at United were very, you know, forceful in their denial of this, the effects of the pilot shortage on their carriers. They did both, as to our earlier point, they did both acknowledge the difficulty in getting airport and ramp workers. And and maintenance technicians. So as we discussed last week, I mean, maintenance technicians could really be a pain point for airlines because that is a very transferable, desirable skill across the economy. Absolutely. Uh, you know, in um, when Delta, when they announced the, the pilot, the flight attendant boarding pay, they also said outlined some efforts they're making to improve operational reliability this summer. And one of those is continuing to hire maintenance technicians. They highlighted that in several times in, uh-huh. in the memo and I was able to view it that they sent to staff. And I think that's telling that maintenance technicians are clearly a point of concern because they're, they're, you don't highlight something if it's uh, if it's going well. Right, exactly. So it's, it's definitely coming. And Delta, I would say, is probably one of the preferred maintenance places to go considering tech ops is yeah. such a big operation. Exactly. So, you know, this is, this is just, I mean, there's that, uh, that expression, May you live in interesting times. I mean, maybe these times are a little too interesting for the airline industry. But 
<laughs> but it's going to be interesting to see. Now, I mean, from what I've heard from economists, the um, the economy is in danger of overheating, and there will be there will be an adjust a correction. Uh, you know, their companies will not be hiring as many people. There won't be as much competition. More people will come in off the sidelines. So there will be more workers. But right now, it's really difficult to see how a trained maintenance technician stays at an airline when that person can be employed, you know, maybe somewhere with that better hours and better pay, works inside. You know, like there's, there's just – it's really um, – it's really going to be tough for airlines. Now let's make this a little segue to go a little north of the border because our friends. I was just at- going to ask what's uh, what's <laughs> happening there. Is is it? Uh, are we going to an airline with a spokes critter, Maju? As, as we like. We to are it? not. It's got a spokes leaf, I guess. I mean, that maple leaf on the back of the planes. But uh, no, Air Canada. I mean, the segue is that Air Canada um, also did not is not seeing any shortage of pilots, and the difference is Air Canada kept all of its pre-pandemic pilot staff on on its payroll and kept them current and trained for this moment when they're, so they're fully confident of being able to operate their summer schedule. Uh, they are seeing a little bit of pressure with underwing employees, however. Um, so that's, you know, the Canadian economy is a little bit dinner, different from the U S um, but uh, it looks like entry level or ramp employees are, are also at a premium at Air Canada. I would like to note that in Canada, they also don't have the same pilot certification rules we have exactly. in the U S. So, uh, and this is, I've heard this from several regional airline CEOs that uh, it's always odd to have a Canadian flight come into LaGuardia or JFK where a pilot can only, only needs maybe, I don't know the rules, but like 500 hours, whereas someone flying a, a U.S. flight is at least 1,500. So. Yeah. But that's exactly. neither here nor there. That's one reason Air Canada probably benefits from an ample supply of pilots. Yeah, for sure. And, um, but Air Canada is, you know, it was interesting to listen to that call today because, they're very bullish. They're very positive about the future, the summer. But they were also, um, Lucy Guillemette and, and Michael Rousseau were very, very insistent and repeated several times that the, the recovery will not happen for Air Canada until possibly the second half of next year. Not this year, next year. Wow. So, you know, almost a full year later. I mean, while, while you know, their U.S. peers are licking their chops for this summer, Air Canada... Things will have a strong summer, but they don't think that uh, that things will return to normal until the second half of next year, or early 2024. Did they talk anything about the new competition they're seeing? Because Canada has no. been a hot spot for start. OK, no. they, uh, they, they did mention the changed Canadian marketplace and then quickly moved on. Um, but also wanted, you know, it's interesting you mentioned that because they stressed several times about their differentiator and what they see as their strengths. And that's their six freedom hubs, Vancouver, Montreal, Toronto, God, forgive me (laughs) for any Canadians out there. I'm sorry. I just stumbled over your largest city, but, uh, um, you know, the six freedom hubs, which where they, if you've ever flown air Canada between the U S and Europe or Asia, it's a very easy connection over Toronto or Vancouver. Um, so that that's something, of course, that Transat does not have, that WestJet and... Um, uh, well, WestJet's trying to build that. They really focus yes. in the last years on making Calgary more of a big connecting point True. for them. And then Toronto and Vancouver to a lesser degree. But Calgary, right. really, their focus, their, their hub focus. So. Yeah, absolutely. But it's not, I mean, not the same scale or uh, network breadth as, um, as Air Canada. 
No, absolutely not. And I, I have to say, I do miss those WestJet calls because they went private just before the pandemic. Exactly. So we no longer get the regular updates on WestJet's business. So I, I am curious how that transformation is going now with the pandemic and everything that's happened since. But that's something that we'll just have to wonder about. We'll just have to guess at. <laughs> that's right. Well, Madhu, thank you so much. Always a pleasure to, to chat with you here. Um, listeners, if you want to reach us, you can re- reach Madhu at mu at skiff.com for Madhu and Krishnan. And you can reach myself, Edward Russell at er at skiff.com. Thank you again. And until next week. Thanks, Ned. Thank you for joining us for this week's episode of the Airline Weekly Lounge podcast. Should you have comments or questions, drop editor Madhu Unikrishnan a note at mu at skiff.com. And of course, check out airlineweekly.com for a new issue every Monday and updates on the latest airline news throughout the week. 